Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, and I'm the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're bringing our series Advance to a close as we discuss mental health. Knowledge and wisdom are things that we'd all like to have, right? But as Christ followers, how can we please God even as we are growing in our knowledge, insight, and understanding? Let's learn more about that in today's conclusion to our series as we head into God's Word together. Thanks for being here. Well, good morning again to you guys. I'm so grateful that you are here with us today. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always enjoyed asking questions to people. I have enjoyed kind of getting to know people and hearing more about people's stories, all those kinds of things. I mean, even as a child, when people who knew me as a child referred to me as an old soul. Anybody other I said that was an old soul that just enjoyed, you know, getting to know people? And when we would go to my friends' houses, I always find to, found myself, you know, peppering questions to my friends' parents about what they did for a living and did you like your job? I mean, what 10-year-old? kind of knew like what time a bus driver had to get up and, you know, and an engineer, what they would do. It was just always really <clears throat> intriguing to me to know what people would do and to ask those questions to them. And now certainly as an adult, that has continued. And I love people and I love to ask questions to people and get to know people. And I'm going to kind of sum up for you the human condition. Are you ready for it? And working with people now for 40 years old, and so working with people for a long time, this is what I have realized. I have pegged each and every one of you, okay? This is what I know about us as humanity. We're good. We're fine. And think about it. Think about it. I mean, how do you usually respond when people ask you how you're doing? Good. You go through the drive-thru this morning, ask your barista, you know, how was your weekend or how was your morning? Good. Honey, how was school today? Fine. You know, how was work? Good. A lot of you that I've talked to on the way in this morning, how was your weekend? Good. So I'm not sure why we're doing a series because we've got it all figured out already. I mean, there's no way, there's no need for us to advance in anything. I mean, we've got all the emotional things, all the mental things, all the financial things, all the relational things completely worked out. There is no room for improvement in our life. So I'm not sure why we're talking about this because we're all just good, right? In reality, we're not. You know, now I'm sure though, I don't know that I really want the alternative because I don't know that I really want people to be fully honest with me about how they are thinking and what they're feeling as well. I had a moment that is galvanized in my memory. Several years ago, I was in a buddy's wedding of mine and I was a groomsman and one of my jobs was to walk his grandma, you know, in for the wedding ceremony. And I will never forget this moment. She was a really sweet old lady and we're talking outside in the lobby and I say to her, you know, how are you? Are you excited about today? And this was her response. I honestly will never forget it verbatim what she said. She said, well, I have five stents and a pacemaker, so this is probably the last grandchild I'll ever see get married. I'm like, well, enjoy the day. You know, I, like, I, hope, I hope it doesn't let you down. And I, so I think that we've got to figure out a response somewhere between I'm good and death is up on us. You know, somewhere on that continuum, we've got to be able to respond to how are we. And that's the reason that we're doing this sermon series. All joking aside, I would venture to say that most of us are probably not fine all the time that life throws us curveballs, and that life has thrown us some things that we don't know how to respond to. And I believe that it's possible that God's wanting to teach us something about advancing to where He wants us to be. And this morning, particularly, we're going to be looking at this concept of mental health. We're in the final week of this series called Advance, where we've been looking at how to advance at the start of 2022 in areas connected to our finances, connected to our physical health, connected to our emotional health, our relational health. And this morning, we're going to close this series by looking at what it is that God wants us to grow, how God wants us to 
to grow to be the most healthy person mentally that we can possibly be and why that matters. And so just know that I'm so grateful that you're here with us. For those of you with us for the very first time today, a special welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for saying yes to whoever invited you. Thank you for just driving up on this property and giving us your morning. And so I hope and pray that you realize that you're not here by accident and that God wants to speak to you today. And I hope and pray that he will through his word. So again, I'm grateful for you being here. Why don't we pray together before we dig into God's word? Lord, thank you for this day. I'm grateful for each and every person who's here. God, I pray that you would help us today to be who you desire for us to be. Remind us, God, that you have something you want to show us today, that you want to grow us, that you want to conform us more and more to you, and help us to advance in the areas that you want us to advance in this morning, particularly as we talk about being the most mentally healthy person that we can be. I pray, God, that you would meet us here. Thank you again for who you are and for a powerful time of worship, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. So when you hear that phrase, mental health, I'm sure there's some different images that come to your mind, and maybe you have a working definition or you kind of have a clinical definition, so to speak. But I wanted to kind of give you a baseline of where, you know, where people are when it comes to this phrase mental health. And, you know, big picture, when you go to like mentalhealth.gov, for example, it says that mental health includes our emotional, our psychological, our social well-being. It affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to others, and how we make choices. And so what is mental health? It's, it's every part of my life. It's the emotional part. It's the psychological part. It's the social part. It's how I think. It's how I feel. And it's how I I act upon all the things that I'm thinking and I'm feeling about, how I respond to stressors in my life, how I'm responding to ups and downs. If you talk to mental health professionals and you say, give me a working definition of mental health, they're going to say words like think and feel and act and how you handle stress and how you cope and how you deal with all those things that are happening in your life. Inherent in all of those conversations And most of those definitions centers around the fact that there's good things that happen in my life and there's challenging things that happen in my life. And every good and challenging thing in your life, you think something about it, you feel something about it, and you act in a certain way connected to that. So I wanted to kind of assert for you a a working definition that may not be the best clinical working definition, but it's just a definition that helps me understand, you know, what is mental health? And you see it up here on the screen. Maybe you want to kind of fill in some of those blanks and take these sermon notes with you and reflect upon them a little bit later in the week. But when I think about mental health, It's how I feel, and it's how I think, and it's how I act about everything that has happened, plus everything that is currently happening, plus everything that will one day happen, is kind of the lump sum of my mental health. Let me repeat that for you. It's how I feel, and it's how I think, and it's how I act about everything that has happened, plus everything that is currently happening, plus everything that will one day happen is the lump sum of my mental health. So my question for you this morning is, what has happened in your past, what is currently happening, and what's going to happen in the future? Wow, how much time do we have? It's a long list, and by no way could we even come up with an exhaustive list, could we, of everything that has happened in your past, everything you're currently going through, and everything that will one day happen. But let me give you some examples. You've probably had some disappointments. You've probably had some celebrations. You've probably had some things you're excited about. You've probably had some things that have frustrated you. You've probably had some wins. You've probably had some losses. You've had some financial gains. You've had some financial losses. You've had job promotions. You've had job deletions. We've experienced birth, and you've experienced death. You've experienced grief. You've experienced joy. You've experienced um, freeing moments. You've experienced moments that are very heavy and weighty. You've got awards. You've received acknowledgments. You've had sicknesses. You've been taken advantage of. Maybe you've had a divorce. Maybe you have bankruptcy. Maybe there's a change of plans. There's a pandemic, a long list. (laughs) The long list goes on and on and on of everything that has happened, plus everything that's currently happening, plus everything that will one day happen. 
And my mental health is how I'm thinking and feeling and acting upon all of those things. And the amazing things, friends, is the Bible is not silent about any of this. The Bible's not silent about how I handle my emotions and what do I do with my thoughts and how do I act upon what I am feeling. But it's really helpful for us to know where to start because the Bible gives us an amazing roadmap for this. It's kind of like if you go to the Nashville Zoo and you go to the Nashville Zoo and you want to find the flamingo exhibit, which is our personal family favorite. You know, the flamingo exhibit. I've never understood how people could look at a flamingo and think there is no God. You know, that's my response to atheists. Have you seen a flamingo? I mean, literally. I mean, that, that, that is not something that, I mean, this has to have some divine creator, because why would an animal do that and look like that? But the reality is if you open up a zoo map and just anywhere in the zoo and you find the flamingo exhibit, it's not really helpful to know where the flamingo exhibit is if you don't know where you currently are. You need that big red star that says you are here. Because without the you are here, I'm just kind of wandering around aimlessly. I've got to have a point of reference. Or otherwise, I may find the flamingos, I may not. And when it comes to our mental health, it's really no different. If I want to advance into being the person that God wants me to be from a mental and emotional health perspective, I kind of have to know where I'm starting. And I have to know, where am I currently? What are the things that I need to work on? Because generally speaking in life, you see this here on the screen, you'll never advance by starting at the wrong place. You know, you're never going to finish a race if you start at the wrong place starting line. You and I will never advance mentally into who God wants us to be if we start at the wrong place. So as a, if you and I desire to advance and to be the healthiest person possible that we can be, then let's grapple through this first little part and say, God, I want to make sure that I'm starting from the right place. And so in order to kind of flesh that out a little bit, I want to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It's the longest recorded teaching of Jesus. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It's going to be up here on the screen. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, honestly, I have never really thought about these verses from a mental health perspective very much until I started studying them, and I realized that Jesus is unearthing some incredible truths here. Some incredible truths about the way that we live our life, because you look at this teaching, and it's kind of wedged in this whole concept of, you know, don't judge other people, don't criticize other people until you kind of realize what you're going through in your own life, you know, don't point out the flaws in everybody else until you realize that you're a flawed person as well. I mean, verse 3 says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? When you have a plank in your own eye, he says, how can you say to someone else, take that sawdust out of your eye when you have a two by four protruding out of your own eye? And Jesus is giving us this teaching is saying, until you learn to kind of deal with you, then you're not going to be able to see clearly to go remove sawdust from someone else's eye. Now, Jesus takes it to the next level and uses a word that I would never use. Jesus says, that's hypocritical. He says, you're a hypocrite. If you think you don't have to deal with you and you can just spend all your time dealing with everybody else's flaws and dealing with everybody else's shortcomings and dealing with everything else that's going on in everybody else's life, where am I going with all this? Jesus not only gives us permission, Jesus not only requests it, Jesus actually commands that I deal with the things in my life before I start dealing with the things in your life. He says, take the plank out of your own eye and then you're able to see more clearly to help remove a piece of sawdust from someone else's eye. It's the exact same reason, if you go on a flight, that the flight attendant says there may be a loss of cabin pressure. 
And if there's a loss of cabin pressure, what do you do? You put your oxygen mask on first before assisting someone else. Why? Because if you don't follow that order, we now have two people with a problem. And they know, I've got to attend to me, not in a selfish way, but in a way to be able to help you. And it's what Jesus is saying here. Some of us, I believe, are not in a really good, healthy place mentally with our thoughts and our emotions or the grappling with the things that have happened to us, or maybe it's our current realities, or maybe it's the things we're worried about in the future. Why? Because we don't like to address the plank in our own eye. It's a lot more fun to criticize the sawdust in someone else's eye instead of dealing with me. We'd rather ignore about how we feel about something and turn our attention to helping someone else. And Jesus says, until you deal with you, you're not going to be able to clearly see to even be able to help someone else. Oh, and by the way, Jesus says, if that's the way you live your life, you're a hypocrite. And so hopefully that's not the desire of any of our hearts, to be a person who lives hypocritically. Now, guys in the room, I want to speak to you specifically because I am one of you and I understand you. Um, I realize that some of you all tuned me out the minute you heard emotions, okay? And you were like, why did I come to church today? Because, uh, you know, this whole feelings talk and everything else, is he going to make us all, you know, get together and have a cry fest a little bit later on? It's not at all. I, yeah, I get it. That sometimes, you know, as men, uh, we think, because the society has taught us this, you know, it's not masculine to talk about your emotions or how you feel. You know, men are tough. Men don't address things in their life. And in case no one has told you this before, it's not masculine to suppress your emotions. It's not masculine to say, I'm never going to deal with how I feel. Society says it's a sign of strength. The world may say that it's masculine, but that's not what the Bible says, because it's time as men that we grapple with how we feel about things, and we wrestle through the things that have happened in our lives and how that has impacted us. And when you do, you begin to understand how you think and why you're feeling certain ways about certain things and why you act in a certain way. I cannot tell you the number of men in my ministry that I have sat across the table from that have gotten themselves in situations where they've never dealt with how they think or feel about anything. And when a conflict comes in their life, instead of connecting with the people in their life, they turn to sports, they turn to video games, they turn to alcohol, they turn to any number of things in their life to numb how they feel. And it's as normal as the sky is blue for us to respond that way. But it doesn't mean that that's the way God wants us to respond. Sometimes as men, we disconnect when maybe a significant other or a family member or a coworker kind of wants to help us to work through something or ask us how we're feeling about something. And instead of dealing with that, we just kind of numb it with something else. And the reality is that story is more common and it's more normal than we would even like to admit. But God says there's a better way. Now, ladies, I haven't left you out. So you probably thought he's just going to talk to the guys and keep moving on. Uh, but, you know, I'm married to a woman. I uh, work with women. I have lots of friends who are women. And I've ran some of these ideas by them and asked them for some counsel and to make sure that I'm saying things that are appropriate and that are relative to where we are. And again, I realize I'm speaking in generalizations here. But what a lot of uh, ladies have told me is, yeah, we're probably a little more in tune with our emotions. But we also like to kind of help fix other people before we fix ourselves. And it's a lot more fun for us to deal with somebody else's emotional problems than it is to deal with our own emotional problems or how we feel about something. I think something that, generally speaking, is across the board for all of us. We all like to find people who will tell us that we're right, don't we? Whether we're right or not, but who will validate how we feel. And I realize that I'm speaking in generalizations, but I hope that we can all agree that we have somewhere, hopefully, we want to be. 
and it would be helpful for us to have some tools to get there. And so what I'd like to do is to kind of share with you very quickly seven keys to biblical mental health. These are all rooted in Scripture, but seven steps that I really believe hopefully will lead you into some introspection and will lead you into just reflecting about how do I be the most mentally healthy person that I can be. And so I'm going to start with step number one. Key number one, realize that God is the giver of all emotions. Realize that God is the giver of all emotions. Look at Psalm 139.3. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. I love Psalm 139. It's such an amazing verse, a passage of Scripture. And what Psalm 139 says is that there's so much truth that what David is saying is that nothing about your life is a surprise to God. Nothing about you and your emotional capacity is shocking to God. You do not have a thought in your mind that God is unaware of. So why would you think that your emotions are lost on God? None of your steps are lost on God either. He is aware of every step before you ever take it. God is the one who gave you that capacity. Look at Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does that mean? It means that my emotional capacity is a reflection of the image of God. Every emotion that I'm capable of having is an emotion that God gave me. You did not conjure up that emotion in your own power. You're created in the image of God, so everything that you're capable of feeling is something that God gave you the capacity to feel. It's huge. It's why I tell every person who's going through grief, this is not unique to me, so feel free to use it. I don't know to tell you who to quote, but feel free to use it. If you're walking with someone who's going through grief, one of the most helpful things to tell them is it is okay to feel however you feel. If you're mad, that's okay. If you're sad, that's okay. If you want to cry, that's okay. If you need to laugh, that's okay. Why? Because you do not have an emotional capacity that God didn't give you. So bring those emotions back to him. The problem is when we stay in an emotional place in an unhealthy manner. And that's where you and I tend to get in trouble. I mean, anger, for an example, is an emotion that you can feel because God gave you that emotion. But yet it also says in Scripture to do not sin in your anger. So when we take it to a place of sinning, that's where you and I tend to experience problems. So realize that God's the giver of all those emotions. Number two, pay attention to your pain. Pay attention to your pain. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It did not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. See, Scripture says painful things are going to happen in your life. This verse in Jeremiah says there's going to be heat, there's going to be drought, there's going to be adversities, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be wins, there's going to be losses. Yet your confidence is in the Lord, and you don't have to be defined by those painful things. You can be a tree planted by the water. But I bring this point up because you need to pay attention to your pain. You're going to have pain in your life. And pain is always an indicator of something that you need to pay attention to. In fact, pain is an indicator that something is working or something needs attention. I mean, have you ever tried a new workout? Have you ever done something you've never done physically before? And you go to bed wondering, I wonder if that worked. I will tell you the telltale way that you know that it worked. You get up the next morning and put your feet on the floor, you'll know. Your body will tell you, what have you done to me? You just did something that you have never done before, and it is screaming at you. It's that pain getting your attention saying, this worked, or you didn't have the right form, but something, you know, it's something. It's an attention getter. Pain is an attention getter in our life. And something that I know about 100% of us, whether we like to talk about it or not, we all have pain in our lives. We all have things that we have encountered. We all have things that we have dealt with. 
And whether we like to talk about it or not, those things that cause us pain, the things that cause you to worry, those things that cause you to strife, they need to be attended to because it's an attention getter that may very well be trying to show you this is an area where you're stunting your mental health or you're stunting your emotional health and God wants to work in that life. Why? Because we feel something connected to all those things that cause us that pain in our life. My friend Amy Alexander, who's the executive director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, she's amazing, and the Refuge Center does just incredible work uh, counseling here in the Middle Tennessee area. And Amy Alexander's a part of our Rolling Hills Church family, and she was working with our staff a couple months ago and uh, was walking our staff through some just a really incredible content and incredible conversations about, about suicide and about suicide prevention and about how to, you know, how to walk with someone and help someone who, um, you know, has suicidal ideations. And um, she said something in that training that really stuck out to me, and she said, when it comes to suicide, which I don't have to remind you, um, is a huge issue, a huge issue here in our community. It is something that hits very close to home. It is something that we are not exempt from in a town like Nolansville. And I want you to know, as the pastor of Rolling Hills Community Church, this is not a topic we are going to sweep under the rug. It is not a topic that we're going to be afraid to talk about. It's not a topic that we're going to be afraid to say, if you are in a situation where you are in pain and you need help, I am so grateful that you are here. I would rather you be here than anywhere else. Because I believe there's hope and there's life and there's grace and there's peace and there's healing for you. And she said something in that training. She said, when it comes to someone taking their life, most people don't want their lives to be over. They want their pain to be over. And she said, they don't want their life to end. They want their pain to end. And I thought, as I have affirmed and heard so many people affirm that truth, that pain should be listened to in my life. It should always be attended to. Because when there's pain there, there's some kind of healing that's needed in that area. And so this is my passionate plea to you this morning. If you are here and you need help and you're just simply saying, you know what, I am not okay, then I want you to let us know. We want to help connect you up with some resources. As a pastor, I am well aware where my skill set stops and I am well aware that there are many people who we can trust and who we want to get you connected up to from a mental health perspective. If you need help, you have that connection card. You can write your name and write your email and check that box that says, I want to talk to somebody about counseling, and I promise you we will discreetly follow up with you and let you know that you're not alone in that journey or if we can be praying for you about that, whatever that case might be, but pay attention to that pain because it might be an indicator of something that God wants to do in your life. Number three, determine where your trust lies. Determine where your trust lies. This one's really, really significant when we think about all the things that are currently happening and that will happen in our life because you and I are always presented with this reality of do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? I mean, look at Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When you dwell in the shelter of God, you find rest for your soul. And I honestly think one of the things that is really difficult for us to grapple with is just how little we can control. In fact, what causes us most anxiety about the future is that we don't control the future. <laughs> That's what causes us the anxiety. We want to be in charge. We want to be sovereign. We want to be the one calling all of the shots. In fact, most of our mental and emotional kind of frustration with the future is kind of squarely in the center of the fact that we don't know what the future is going to throw our way, and we don't like that because I like to be in charge. I like to be in control, and it takes me down a very emotionally and mentally unhealthy place. 
We think about what would happen to my kids if, what would happen to my stocks if, what happens to my job if, what variant might come next, what pandemic might come next, yet I absolutely have no promise of anything but this moment, but that does not stop my mind going in a million different directions thinking I can fix everything. That's why Romans 12, 2 is a verse of Scripture. If you do not have it committed to memory, commit it to memory. Do not conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because what is the pattern of this world? The pattern of this world is you got it. The pattern of this world is you're in charge. The pattern of this world is you can fix it. The pattern of this world is as long as you will it into action, it can be done. But yet God says, I'm in control of everything. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't it an incredible truth to know that God's got this moment? Wherever you are in your life right now, God is holding it together. And he's going to hold tomorrow together. And all the days that he continues to give you life here on this earth, he's the one who is holding it together. He's got all of these moments. Number four, be careful to who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. I've been like you many times where I've sat in a room like this and I kind of tune out for a little bit. So if you've tuned out, tune back in. Okay, this is a really important point. If you don't remember anything else else other day, remember this. Be careful in your life who you listen to. Because a mentally healthy person will have people in their lives that they can trust. And will have people in their lives that they can talk to. And will have people in their lives that literally have their best interest in mind. And you know that you have somebody in your life who has your best interest in mind if they don't always tell you exactly what you want to hear. And they're willing to speak truth to you, even if that truth may hurt. You and I were created for relationships. We were created to be together. We were created for community. And what we're seeing with our own eyes is the erosion of that community, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing it right here in our own society. Do you guys know that the Surgeon General of the United States in 2017, okay, the Surgeon General of the United States in 2017 called loneliness and emotional health issues the greatest epidemic in the future for us? What was not happening in 2017? COVID-19 and all of the things that have happened over the last two years. So back in 2017, the Surgeon General was saying the greatest epidemic for this year ahead is loneliness and emotional and mental health issues. And then what has happened with COVID-19 and all of the tension and all of the division and all the things that we have dealt with, it has been kerosene on something that was already starting to boil over. And the Gospel Coalition says that in the year 2020, the average American traded in 300 hours of in-person time with people for 300 hours of internet and social media. Scary, isn't it? I mean, 300 hours of in-person time, that's just life on life, that's neighbors, that's church, that's classmates, that's roommates, you know, coworkers, all those kinds of things. We traded in about one year, about 300 hours of that in-person time for 300 hours of kind of virtual living, so to speak. And what has happened is sometimes we've traded in time for people that just really, A, don't even know us, or B, may not have our best interest in mind, and the trade-off has decimated some of our relationships. So be careful who you listen to. Back last fall, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary, and we decided to go on a trip. Uh, just she and I, without the kids, big fans. So if it's been a while, say if you're married and you have kids and you've, if you've, if you've not been on a trip with just your significant other, you know, shame on you. You got to do it, okay? So find somebody to keep the kids. It's a win-win for everybody. My mom actually told me before we had kids, uh, great wisdom has been affirmed even by some of you. You know, when you need a break from your kids, they probably need a break from you as well. And it is really true. 
I mean, think about it. It really is. I mean, it's mutually advantageous for every party. And so we decided to, to go on a trip. And um, so we were, you know, having an awesome time. And one day we walked by the pool and we were headed to the beach. We are at the beach. And I started looking around and I realized that literally, no joke, literally every person at the pool and every person on the beach was scrolling on their phone. Like everyone. Like, and I was so beginning to get a little bit scared because I thought we were under nuclear attack and we were the only two not making end-of-life arrangements. You know, like calling the kids that we have left at home. Like, I love you. I'm, has something gone wrong? And I realized, no, we weren't under any kind of attack. We were just kind of seeing what the Kardashians were up to. We were just scrolling, you know, just kind of doing life. And it really kind of hit me square between the eyes, and I thought to myself, and again, I'm, I'm not judging. Y'all remember the whole plank sawdust thing at the beginning, so now I'm not judging anybody in saying this, but it was an observation to me. I thought, here we are in this beautiful place. You have the love of your life next to you, and you're choosing to forego that for whatever it is that you deemed more important. I think it's time that we throw up the white flag and say, I need people. I need community. I need people around me. Maybe you have somebody in your life right now that's spiraling into a pretty emotionally unhealthy place because they're so disconnected from community. Maybe it's time to help them raise a white flag and say, come into the fold. Come into relationships. You need people. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Proverbs 27.6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Isn't this a cool verse? What does it say? It says that when you have a friend in your life who has your best interest in heart, that they can actually tell you something that's hard to hear, but it can be trusted. Not so much with the enemy. What does the enemy do? Kiss, 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 multiplies, tells you exactly what you want to hear, and they're gone. But a wound from a friend, a community, someone who's with you, that can be trusted. So be careful not to base your life on deceit. And the world deceives you. We need to build our relationships and engage in that community because it helps us understand who we are and who God is. Now, this next key came to me, number five, by a mentor of mine. And it's a, a, a dear man of God that I have such respect for. And he's actually been in ministry longer than I've been alive. And we had breakfast a couple weeks ago. And I just asked him, I said, hey, what's something that you wish you could kind of go back and tell your younger self? And without missing a beat, he says, number five, fear man less and fear God more. Fear man less and fear God more. And I immediately thought to myself, that's going to make a really great sermon point. Could you flesh that out for me a little bit? Uh, so I can share that with some people later on. And he, he basically said, Jason, I've wasted a lot of my years in life worried about what people thought about me. Or I've wasted a lot of years in my life trying to make everybody else around me happy. And I wish that I would have really spent more time focused on what did God want? Am I making God happy? Am I serving my audience of one? And that can certainly be backed up by Scripture. I mean, look at Ecclesiastes 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says the conclusion of all these thoughts is to fear God and keep his commands. This one rings very true to me because I, by design, am a people pleaser. Is there anybody else that would be honest enough to say, yeah, that's me as well? Thank you, one of you. Uh, great, I see, some, I see somebody kind of sheepishly doing this back there. Um, but when you have people-pleasing tendencies, uh, you don't want to let people down. And harmony is very important to me. I want everybody to get along. I don't understand why people are frustrated. I don't understand why people fight over silly things because I'm like, why can't we just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and get along? You know, and maybe, it's, maybe, maybe my view on life is a little too uh, positive. 
But you throw on top of all of that, all of the division and all of the tension and all of the things that we encounter as a society and the problem with always trying to please everyone else is that you can begin spiraling into a place when you realize I'm not giving any attention to pleasing God. And if our lives are all about just kind of making everybody else happy, I'm not talking about you should put other people first, so that's not what I'm saying at all. But enter your profession, enter your career, enter your place of influence, enter your leadership. I mean, each and every one of you in here are people of influence. You have leadership influence, you have jobs, you have coworkers, you have family, all of those things. If I spend more time worried about all of the things and all the people that I'm trying to make happy all the time, or I'm trying to earn all of the love from what has been happened to me in the past, or trying to make somebody see me in a way that, you know, makes me think better about myself, whatever the case might be, if that's where my life is lived, if that's what I'm all about, then it may be that I'm having a very unhealthy fear of just trying to keep up with everyone else, whereas God is saying, no, please me. And if you please me, that's enough. Let your goal be at the end of your life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, done, good and richest servant of all, or well done, you know, good person who, you know, was the winner of everything, or well done person who won the awards. No, well done, good and faithful service. When faithfulness is your goal, God is your audience. And he is the one that you seek to please. A lot of us say we're fine. But in reality, we're held captive by not wanting to let people down, not wanting to disappoint people, seeking the approval of others. And when God says, I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross to take away all of your sin, to make you whole once and for all, he meant it. And he came to you. Jesus came to you when you didn't deserve it, when you were hopeless, when you were broken, to remind you that you are whole in him and him alone. And lastly, I want to give you two more, two very practical takeaways to advance in the area of mental health this year. Number six, serve, serve, serve. (laughs) Serve, serve, serve. I'm amazed at how quick we are to dismiss the very thing that was the defining mark of Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus' life was marked by servant leadership. It was marked by being there for people and meeting the needs of other people. But yet sometimes our life is all about trying to exalt ourselves and making ourselves in the center and letting everybody orbit around us. Luke 14, 1, or 11 says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was always concerned about, did people have enough to eat? Were, were, what were they needing in life? He was performing miracles to bring them life, and ultimately he gave his own life. So if you're approaching an unhealthy state, Maybe the last thing that you should be abandoning right now is, is an opportunity to serve someone else. If There's lots of things that you can give up. Please don't give up what was so passionately close to the heart of Jesus, and that was putting people first and meeting needs in their life. And then lastly, I want to close by number seven, because number seven perfectly sums up this week, but it also sums up the entire series of how do I advance in 2022? Grow in humility. Grow in humility. I'm not sure there's anything that's going to help you this year advance more into who God wants you to be than growing in humility. Look at Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed up spirit dries up the bones. Isn't that an awesome verse? Grow in humility, grow in joy, grow in positivity. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed up spirit dries up the bones. What most of us have come to realize is there's just a lot of negativity around us, isn't it? It's by nature a lot of our go-tos. We just kind of see the world through, you know, um, a glass half empty kind of mentality, but something happens in your life when you choose to say, there is so much going on. There's so many things I'm frustrated by. There's so many things I'm annoyed by. There's so many things that are stressing me out. There's so many things that are causing me to worry right now. 
But in the midst of all that, I am not going to let my heart be troubled by it because I know that that dries up my bones. It robs me of my joy. I'm not ignoring the difficulties. I'm not telling you that life is going to be easy breezy for the next 10 years of your life. I'm not saying that at all because challenges are going to come. But what we are saying is with God as my creator and Jesus as my Lord, I can choose to exalt him in everything and not myself. And I can choose to humble myself and say, God, use me. I can make my life about serving God and serving others and seeking to be like Jesus. And so if you're, not, if you're here and you're not where you want to be, I promise you that growing in humility is a step in the right direction. If you're close to where you want to be and you're thinking, what is that thing that just gets me to better understand and advance who God wants me to be? Perhaps it's growing in humility. So I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to give you just a chance to respond to this in the few minutes that we have left. Because maybe you're fine. Maybe you're fine and, you've, and you'll say, you know what, Pastor Jason, the things that you talked about, they make a lot of sense. Um, it's a good little self-checkup for me. I don't struggle in any of those areas. And I'm all good. But maybe you're not. And maybe there is some work that um, you need to do this morning. Or maybe there's a, a plank in your eye that you need to remove so that you can help someone with a piece of sawdust in their eye. Because there's a lot at stake here. Because you and I are emotionally and mentally created beings by God. We have feelings and we have emotions and we have things that have many times been a ceiling for us to, to be the person that you desire for us to be. And so if that's where you are this morning, I would encourage you to just in this moment of response to ask God to speak to your heart. Maybe you want to pray with someone after the service. Maybe you want to write down a prayer request so that we can follow up with you. Just know that this is your time, time to meet him because he loves you and he cares for you. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're so thankful for you.